You're listening to the American Alpine Club podcast. This is Hannah Provo, content manager at the American Alpine Club. In this episode, we are sharing a recording of a panel discussion that the AAC hosted at our annual gathering because it was just too good to only share with a live audience. We brought together climbing icons Lynn Hill, Arlene Bloom, Madeline Sorkin, and Sarah Leanne Hart to discuss the ever-complex question of female first ascents and whether female first ascents are really the answer to ensuring women's climbing gets the recognition it deserves. These four astonishing climbers delve into the importance of female role models in their own careers, the pros and cons of reporting first female ascents, and what they'd like to see improved. Arlene Bloom, PhD, is a biophysical chemist, author, and mountaineer, and is a research associate in chemistry at UC Berkeley and executive director of the Green Science Policy Institute. Arlene Bloom led the first American and all-women's ascent of Annapurna 1 in 1978, considered one of the world's most dangerous and difficult mountains. She co-led the first women's team to climb Denali in 1970, completed the Great Himalayan Traverse across the mountain regions of Bhutan, Nepal, and India, and hiked the length of the European Alps with her baby daughter on her back. She is the author of Annapurna, A Woman's Place, and Breaking Trail, A Climbing Life. Madeline Sorkin, who uses she and they pronouns, is a rock climber living creatively with her wife in an off-grid home near the Black Canyon National Park in Colorado. Mad travels to climb long, difficult rock walls from the Rockies to Yosemite, and internationally has completed first free ascents as far as Kyrgyzstan, Patagonia, and Jordan. Mad climbs up to 514, has freed up to 513 plus on El Cap, and the Diamond of Long's Peak. She has made several first or early free ascents on remote rock walls and several in female teams. She's the founder of the Climbing Grief Fund at the American Alpine Club and an AMGA rock guide. Increasingly a self-described homebody, Mad still travels to free climb difficult, tall walls and playfully coaches climbers towards their performance edge. Sarah Leanne Hart calls herself a climbing generalist. She thrives on the feeling of being competent in the mountains, and being skilled in all arenas of climbing has enabled her to climb difficult and remote mountains all over the world, but also never find herself bored. With this mentality, Sarah has sent 513 sport climbs, 513 traditional climbs, V10 boulders, grade 5 ice climbs, and ED2 alpine climbs. Though she isn't an aid climber, she can French free with the best of them. Sarah worked with the editors of the American Alpine Journal to expand the coverage of women's climbing in the AAJ. You can read her article, State of the Art, in the 2020 edition of the AAJ or on the AAC's website. Lynn Hill changed the definition of what is possible in rock climbing with her first free ascent of the most famous big wall climb in the world, the Nose on El Cap in Yosemite Valley. Many years later, Tommy Caldwell and Lynn are still the only two people in the world to have succeeded in making an all-free, one-day ascent of the nose. In 1979, she was the first woman to climb a route rated 512D. Lynn continued to climb routes at the highest standards of difficulty over the years to follow, including being the first woman to do a route graded 514 in 1991, three years before any other woman. 
1992, Lynn was also the first woman to make an on-site ascent of a climb rated 513B. Currently living in Boulder, Colorado, Lynn balances her time between climbing, running, skiing, and traveling to cool places around the world and raising her son, Owen. These four panelists clearly come to this conversation with a wealth of experience and distinct personal perspectives. We hope you enjoy their contributions to the larger conversation about women's climbing and that you seek out the perspectives of the many other women who have a voice in this conversation as well. I'd like us to get started with having each of you kind of share about just personal experiences and anecdotes about how gender in general, I mean, your personal gender experience has impacted your climbing career. I think we wanted to start with Arlene to maybe do some chronological context. Well, when I started my climbing career, things were really different, and I'm glad they're so much better now that we have this panel. Um, I got invited to go on a Denali expedition by some friends who were going, who were guys, and then the leader said, um, women can go as far as base camp and help with cooking. And when I queried him, he said that women aren't physically strong enough or emotionally stable enough to climb mountains like Denali. So that was inspiring. So that was led to an all-women's Denali expedition. That was um, 1969. Meanwhile, um, I didn't go on that trip. I went to Mount Waddington. I'll say how it happened. I went to Mount Waddington, and there was another woman on the climb. And the guide said, women climbers aren't good climbers or they aren't real women. I mean, these were the kinds of things people would just say. And um, so that woman, Linda Crabtree, and I went to the valley in 1969 and did climbing, just two women, and people took our picture. They acted like we were just the most crazy thing they'd ever seen. And that's where Denali started, because we had climbed the Harry Daly route on Monday morning slabs, which in those days, 5'8 for two women, it was something. And a thunderstorm came down, we rappelled to a ledge, and Dana Isherwood came down with her husband and said, girls, climbing alone, that's amazing. And I said, well, what I really want to do is climb Denali with women. And she said, I do too. And her husband said, I know two women from New Zealand. And so that's how it started. And, and so, it kind of inspired us, you know, but it, it was tough. And um, if, if you read my memoir, Breaking Trail, it's in detail. But um, on Denali, our leader collapsed unconscious on the summit. We had to get her down, which we did successfully. And um, that really inspired Annapurna, because I knew after Denali that women could do some of the hardest, hardest things. And I will say, just to share, is when we applied to go to Annapurna, we could not get our permit approved by the American Alpine Club because we were women. And um, we had, that time my boyfriend was going to Annapurna too with one other guy, he got his permit approved immediately. And we had like two months of lobbying. So it makes me really happy I'm getting this award tonight. I will not say this tonight, but I'll just share this with a, with a few, with a few with a few select friends. <laughs> anyway, so I was pretty thrilled to get this award. It's a little bit after I'd done my main climbing. So I, it, well, you heard, I, I had a lot of adventures. And um, now I really like cross-country skiing. And I even like more. Um, my current expedition is trying to stop harmful chemicals in products. And I like doing that even more. If you sign up for my mailing list, you'll learn more. Thank you. <laughs> Lynn, could you share a little bit? Well, I came from a generation a little bit later than you, and I remember my mother telling me stories about, you know, the girls did craft activities at school and the boys got to do sports, and it just seemed like 
it was unfair and you know so i wanted to wear jeans and climb trees and so they called me a tomboy and i kind of embraced that and decided well if if i'm a tomboy then i'm that's who i am and i'm i'm going to follow what i like so i think the comments that were made throughout my life um, didn't really deter me from following my vision, which I think was kind of a gift, really. Um, but there were comments along the way. You know, when I went to France, I met this guy. It's, it's in my book. So Jibé Tribu says, a woman will never on site 512D. Actually, it was even 12C. And I looked at him so surprised, like, really? Because, I mean, yeah, I did grow up in California. Women are, you know, a little bit more liberated, I think, in that part of the world. And and now, so, I mean, it's way more um, inappropriate to say things like that with the Me Too movement and just people's awareness. But people would say all kinds of things like that, you know. And um, I, I ended up having the opportunity to on-site my first 8A, um, which is 13B, in front of him. <laughs> so um, I think nowadays people wouldn't say things like that so obviously. But they might, you know, like when I was young girl, I did this hard mantle in Joshua Tree and this guy was looking at me and he didn't look particularly fit or anything and he goes, gee, I can't even do that. And I just was like, well, why would you think that you should be able to do it just because I don't look like I should be this muscle-bound, you know, macho person. Um, so I guess my, my upbringing was tainted with some of the stuff you're talking about and I think that we have made a lot of progress and people do watch their tongue and, and don't say these negative things because I think those statements, even though I didn't believe them, that does bring up a question in your head. Why do they say women aren't strong enough? And you have to contemplate it for a second. And you know, my thinking was, okay, well, that's rubbish. I'm not gonna listen to that. But um, you know, it takes some courage to look and see the solution and, and find your way. Sarah? So I uh, certainly was like inspired by folks like Arlene and Lynn who came before me. And um, for me, I, so the context behind how I got involved in all of this is in 2015, uh, Jewel Lund and Chantal Astorga climbed the Denali Diamond, which is in Alaska grade six and is considered a test piece for the Central Alaska Range. And I was like heavily immersed in alpine climbing and alpinism at that point. And I remember that happened and I thought, that's huge. That's super huge. And I was super impressed. And then when the 2015 journal came out, you know, I'm flipping through expecting to see a full color glossy story about this super impressive ascent. And unfortunately, it was in the back of the book in the Alaska section in like, you know, one or two sentences. Of course, that's no like um, nothing negative about the journal. The journal's amazing. It was just reflective of, you know, the current state of things back then. And um, I am a woman of action. So I, I had heard all of these stories in the dialogue about women in climbing for years. And um, I just realized something had to be done something had to change and um that's why i'm a part of all of this because i i with the support of so many other important people was able to devise a way um to not lose track of what lynn has accomplished to not lose track of what arlene has accomplished and so many other amazing women um i think a lot of incredible things happened 20 30 50 years ago that's just been lost 
to the history books because um, of the way that we we judge or grade women's climbing versus men's climbing. So um, that's maybe like a slight introduction to part of why I'm here. Well, thank you so much for having me on this panel. I'm happy to be here. I, uh, I started climbing uh, when I was a teenager and I think threads of this conversation spur me into our, I certainly felt as though the natural world just like opened up this, in a way, genderless field um, for me to just express myself and maybe the tomboy that I was being kind of told I was. Um, and in the same regard, it also kind of othered me from other women. And I think what was cool about um, when I got into climbing harder things is there was uh, this opportunity to climb with other women. And so female team ascents were pretty important for me when I um, started really pushing my, my limits. And um, one of the first ones I did was um, freeing Moonlight Buttress with Kate Rutherford. And that turned into a great partnership. And we um, were just able to lift each other up and kind of be aware of some similar gender conditioning that we'd experience and you know relate in our female bodies and um, that did a lot for both of our kind of confidence and capacity building uh, as climbers and for me carrying that into mixed gender partnerships or solo goals I, I think I came into those goals with more confidence because of those experiences so um, that's one of the pieces I bring to this mm gender conversation that I have a lot of ambivalence around that I think we all should because it's a really ambiguous um, topic that we have to have a lot of tolerance for that. Maybe we can get into um, a little more of the details of that you guys have already touched on a little bit. Thinking about the way that cutting edge ascents by women are judged differently perhaps um, by the climbing community, the media, they're represented differently. Um, are they? What does that look like? Are, they, are women's climbs unfairly scrutinized compared with similar climbs by men? What about mixed teams? How does that work out? So I guess, can you guys reflect on maybe some examples of that or how you've seen that uh, play out? Well, I'll just do one. Um, when we climbed Annapurna, we were the first Americans, but it's always said the first women. And then I always say the first Americans because first American ascents of 8,000 meter peaks are usually a deal. And, um, I just I just noticed that, but it's it's kind of hard. You, you, first, American women's. Then it's even narrowing it. I think it's better to say first American rather than first women. So that's an example of that um, confusion. <laughs> so one of my longtime friends, uh, Mari Gingri, um, I met her as a teenager. I think at seventeen or sixteen, we started climbing together and. Um, it was great to have another woman that I could talk to and, like you were saying, just in our female bodies, figure out our own way. And um, we were climbers. We didn't think of ourselves as women climbers, even though we were women, but we were such a marginal group back then. You know, there weren't so many climbers like there are today, and it's not part of mainstream culture. I mean, it wasn't at all. You were considered bizarre and death wish and all that misconception about climbing. So I think that um, we didn't really judge ourselves that way. And uh, we did an early ascent of the shield back then. 
And it occurred to me driving here today that we never thought to say it was the first female ascent of that route, but I wouldn't even know if that's true or not, but I think it probably is. Um, I think we did it in 1980, so I don't know. There was no records, right? Who is keeping track? And you know, the whole question revolving around this discussion today is do we highlight that it's the first female ascent or not? I think that really does depend on what it is. And um, you know, for me personally, a, a recent example, Action Direct was the first 9A, 14D um, in the world done by Wolfgang Grulich. And uh, Melissa Lenov uh, did, she spent six years training for this route. And to me, that was an interesting thing to know that she did it because I, I actually went up there and looked at the first move and I, I couldn't imagine jumping on this really overhanging wall and catching like a two finger pocket because your feet would just fly out. Um, but she figured out a way to jump and like pivot her body so that when she catches the, the pocket, she's able to manage all that momentum. So I think that there are particular examples that are interesting for me to know and for other women, I think, too. It was Paige Clausen that said this. She said that um, it's not relevant if another woman hasn't even tried it. Some obscure climb somewhere that nobody knows about, it's not really that interesting to know that it was the first female ascent. And, and you know, the other critique is that it, it kind of highlights the differences. And climbing is one of the, the sports that we all participate in the same playing field and we adapt ourselves the way that we can. Um, small fingers, you know, people said, oh, Lynn, she, she did the nose because she had small fingers. Huh, <laughs> 3,000 foot wall that only required small fingers. <laughs> so sometimes that eases the pain for people that don't wanna admit that, you know, it, it happened because of a lot of factors and, you know, your motivation is huge. And I have to say, that was definitely a part of why I wanted to do the nose and, and be the first person, not the first woman. But a lot of people still get that wrong. Um, and you know, it was, it was just to demonstrate, not to talk about it, but to say, here it is. It can be done. And, and I think about all the accomplishments that the young generation of women are doing today. They're at such a high level. Why couldn't they do that five years ago, 10 years ago? And, and actually now you are seeing, you know, that women are right at that leading edge. And, um, and I was actually talking to a track runner the other day. She was, you know, on a, the Olympic training team. And, and, you know, I asked her how fast she ran the quarter. And she's like, yeah, but they run three seconds faster now. And I'm like, okay, so what do you think the difference is? Why do you think that women or anyone in any sport is able to just make that leap. And she said, it has to do with faith. So it's about the story you tell yourself and you really have to believe it. It's not just a story you're telling yourself. You have to see the solutions and do the proper training and have the right motivation. And I would add too, along what Lynn is saying that I think it's right. There's like context matters in this whole women first thing. Um, I, I think where it matters is when I was a young um, alpine climber coming up, I didn't know who Arlene Bloom was. I don't know who Betsy White was. And these are like integral figures to the history of women in alpinism. And I think the distinction is, is like 
a woman's accomplishment needs to be called out when it matters, when it matters, like it really matters from a significant standpoint for women. Because um, I think that why we see this like more rapid um, increase in women sort of matching men is because we're finally catching up on collecting all of the relevant information about what women have accomplished. Whereas previously, that information would have been buried. Going back to the Denali Diamond example, when Chantel and um, Anne climbed, or sorry, when um, Jewel and Chantel climbed the diamond, it was, I think, like the seventh ascent of that route. And by all accounts, that doesn't matter. For, for climbers, for alpinists, the seventh ascent doesn't matter. But for the first time, a team of women to climb what is considered to be among the hardest grades in Alaskan alpinism, um, I think that information really matters because I want to know about that so that I know what is possible for me when I go to Alaska to try my hand at a grade six, which I have not done, but, um, <laughs> but hopefully like other young female alpinists are looking to that information as guidance to sort of bolster their faith in themselves. Um, one thing that I'll add that just, I just found out this morning, um, yesterday, a young woman from Germany, her name's Laura, she just soloed the Heckmeyer route on the north face of the Eiger. And this is only the second time since Catherine Destevel soloed that route, you know, in 1990. It's only the second time that that's been done. And I think, again, it's because there's this like rapid increase in information about what women's climbing is. So, I mean, that's super cool. It's extremely relevant to this conversation today. And it literally happened yesterday. So. Yeah, I, I love this thread. Um, Y'all are making me think about just, you know, what we're up to as a climbing community. And um, so much of the climbing lore that I've ingested and that I get inspired about is, you know, like pushing my limits. And we talk about pushing our limits a lot. And um, if our history is all, you know, how did a white man push his limits? If you don't, if I don't see myself reflected in it, it does have an impact. Um, and I, I think that um, that's where, like, the ambivalences for me of just you know what is a meaningful ascent. Um, I think it's not that black and white, and so it, it is tricky to like decide which one matters and such, but. I think right now we're at this time where it's really like identity forward time and that's kind of pushing us to talk about gender and talk about race in our sport. And I think that's great um, because then we're talking about how we are like raising everybody up and pushing the limits for everybody and understanding that like everybody needs both role models and mentors and um, that belief matters a lot. I mean, some people probably just have it more than others, um, but I think we're all impacted by the social norms and there's really subtle accessibility issues that, I mean, I think I experienced as a woman of just, you know, not seeing myself in my male partners and like how I was gonna live my life then and include all the parts of me um, and that just, that 
that didn't necessarily help me along the way, but I had a lot of other advantages that really did. AAC memberships power this podcast. If you want to become a member and get all kinds of deals on gear, rescue benefits, and access to our publications, like the American Alpine Journal and Accidents in North American Climbing, visit us at our website at americanalpineclub.org slash learn dash more. Um, okay, let's dig a little bit more into kind of the distinction between um, thinking about female first ascents and celebrating female first ascents versus first ascents in general. Um, so here are some questions to maybe jog that conversation. Are first ascents and exploratory climbing even an important goal? Like first ascents themselves, straight up first person to climb a climb, important goal for female climbers. As it stands right now, the AAJ is centered around first ascents and exploration. Could this be why women are underrepresented? Because those goals just aren't values for female climbers, or are they? And then should we be thinking about different ways to capture the progress of contemporary female alpinism? Well, I think first ascents always seemed like a great thing. I, I was lucky when I climbed, they were easier to do. And, and it's true, like we did a first ascent of a mountain called Brigapanth with a team of women. It's right next to that one in the movie that's really hard. What's the name of it? Meru, right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so right next to Meru is Brigapanth, which isn't that hard, but it's pretty hard, and it's a crap. Anyway, we looked at Meru the whole time, and um, it was a first ascent. I don't think anybody knows about it or paid much attention, um, but, and it was all women again. Um, and I think, anyway, yeah, so it, it was a lot easier back when I climbed, and, and we did like to. It's a wonderful feeling, I have to say. I was led up to a place where we hoped our summit bivouac was going to be, and we didn't know if there'd be any flat land at about 20,000 feet. And there was a flat place the size of a football field that nobody would ever stepped on. And so I got to step on it first. And that was, you know, that feeling of exploration. It was an amazing moment. You know, I was going over the edge, and I can't believe <laughs> there's plenty of room to pitch our tents. <laughs> So um, it is a wonderful feeling, I think, but it's harder and harder to find first descents, I believe. Um, politically, also, it's a combination of politics, I think, and climbing. And so, um, anyway, so back then we could do them, and it was—it's a wonderful feeling. I'll chime in. Of uh, I don't know. Uh, I think that part of the cool thing about more inclusivity is that charting into new ideas and really what what matters to the climbing community and the AAC responding to that. Um, so that might be first ascents, it might be first um, all team representing a certain, um, all kinds of ways that could be more inclusive. So yeah, I'm gonna go with I don't know and first ascents are uh, hopefully always relevant though in our, in our alpinism. I would say my experiences is that um, first ascending is less important. I My experience with all of my female partners is more uh, repeating established roots. And maybe there's something there about a woman's approach to alpinism, which is more about like, strategy and safety and security like when i go into the mountains or when i previously did <clears throat> mostly with female partners 
there was so much planning involved, like pretty much like circling around every possible eventuality. And maybe in the sphere of male albinism, it's a little bit more cowboy. So in my own experience, it's been, it's been repeats. That's the goal. Um, I've certainly been involved in first ascenting, but the majority of my uh, climbing career has been focused on repeats. Obviously, Lynn has something different to say. Well, coming after the generation of, you know, most of the big formations had been done. So my generation was all about free climbing and first free ascents. So that was the, the good, you know, goal to, you know, try something that looks impossible and make it all free. Um, and there were still plenty of those routes to do for my generation. And I, I say that it is important to do first ascents. Um, it's exciting and, you know, that's, that feeling of adventure has changed with all the information we have and all the guidebooks and um, people know what's up. If they wanna look at the history, they can find out who did the first ascent and then who did the first free ascent or whatever they want. Um, not all guidebooks give that information, but as this organization, I think that credit should be, you know, noted. Yeah, and I will add that um, it's it's still meaningful for me um, in selecting lines. You know, if another woman hasn't freed a line to to think about how I would do that in my body. And there's there's an exploration there that's uncharted. Um, and there's a lot of value in f finding your own way to do something in climbing in general. And that's, that's just, that's an opportunity provided in that. Can we have Sarah talk a little bit more and give us more detail about the um, state-of-the-art benchmark baseline project that you did for the AAJ? Yeah, totally. Maybe it was in 2018. I sent a message to Dougald McDonald and um, probably became a bit of like a uh, squeaky wheel and finally <laughs> couldn't ignore me. The whole goal was, again, around this, this story of the diamond and feeling like um, important climbing was being missed. And it wasn't anybody's fault. It's just that, yeah, there is this like nuanced argument about first ascents, first female ascents and what matters. And, and I guess I came to Dougald saying that there are times when a first female ascent matters. And it's when it involves like the level of women's climbing being pushed forward one more notch. And it doesn't necessarily, you know, parlay directly to men's climbing and how that category of climbing is being pushed one notch further. And, um, and so over this, about a two-year period with the support of some really important folks, we did this massive data collection uh, exercise to start to understand, so what is the state of the art or the benchmark for women's climbing in all the categories of the AAJ's reporting areas? And um, a lot of that information took a long time to figure out because it just wasn't known. And that was really cool in and of itself. And the outcome of that is uh, in this 2020 article that you can read too. Um, but it, it's given the editors of the American Alpine Journal a way to identify when something significant has happened 
for women um, and make sure that that can get reported or recorded or categorized in a way that is um, suiting or fitting to that significance of an accomplishment. And uh, the reason why this process was so rigorous and took so long is because um, in my experience and in my interactions with other women climbers, like the point is not to patronize women or to like placate them or to like eke out some little corner of the AAJ that's like, this is the women's corner where you just like fill it with whatever fluff. It could even have been a first descent by some women, um, but it's not indicative of like the the, elite or the state of the art for women's climbing. Um, uh, that was really important to me and the other folks involved. So we we spent tons of time creating this mechanism to, to identify what really matters uh, and what involved like a high degree of commitment and blood, sweat and tears. Because um, I, I think that like the bar of women's climbing right now is really freaking impressive. And I don't want to see that get shoved away just because it doesn't match the bar of what men are accomplishing right now. Now that's changing in a lot of technical areas of climbing, like hard sport climbing. I would say in alpinism in like the higher, you know, higher altitudes, the difference is still quite significant. And that was what was like my passion project is trying to close that gap a little bit. Um, so, so yeah, the, the goal of this is really just creating a way to like suitably recognize significance, not just putting a label of first female ascent and shoving it into the, to the journal, but saying, no, no, this, this matters. And this was a repeat, but this really matters because this actually just like pushed women's climbing one step further. Um, yeah, that's my spiel, so. Yeah, so I feel like that's a really interesting, concrete think way to think about kind of solutions to this thing that we're talking about. So I'm wondering if any of the other panelists have thoughts or like how can we address some of these questions of like what is significant, how should um, women's climbing be addressed, um, and do you kind of have thoughts about maybe the way we could change the narrative or something like that? Well, going into this discussion, I started thinking about some of the ways I think women have influenced climbing and the changing of the narrative. And one um, is I think women have really influenced the emotional intelligence of our sport. And so like the success of your expedition is in part weighted on how well did everyone get along? And, um, you know, it's not just about did one person free the route or what have you. I think that that that's been really additive to our sport and is much more part, it's integrated now into the way narratives about um, objective successes. Yeah, how many times have you cried with your female climbing partners? <laughs> I do all the time. <laughs> really helps the like the moving of uh, emotion through the situation. Well, well, I have to say before we went to Annapurna, we decided staying friends was more important than reaching the summit. And we really talked things out. And I had seen unfortunate examples on, I was on 
a bunch of mixed expeditions too, where there was big conflict and everybody would just suck it up, climb the mountain and never speak to each other again. And we really did not want that to happen very consciously. In fact, I was a little horrified, but it turned out to be useful. One of the members had us talk with a psychologist before we went, which I think is really unusual. And um, just try to in advance discuss how we would handle conflict and decision making. And, um, and there, there was a big conflict. <laughs> Somebody other than me wanted to be the leader and then it all got resolved, but we all talked it through. And it was really useful to talk to that psychologist. I don't think many male expeditions have talked. And, and then we, you know, we, we lost two of our team members and then the psychologist came to Nepal and actually worked with us in Kathmandu and it was very healing to all of us. So not that I'm recommending that necessarily, but that's a, a big difference um, that, that we consciously did. Again, Mari Gingri was a great partner. And um, when we went to climb the, uh, the shield, we weren't aid climbers. Um, and I agree with your sentiment. <laughs> aid climbing is not my thing. Um, it takes way too long. And yeah, um, I'd rather use my body adapting to the rock. Uh, so we kind of knew a little bit because our boyfriends gave us the pitons. Um, I didn't have the money to buy even a, a, a proper hammock. I was in one of those horrible banana things and slept in a corner one night. Uh, but anyway, um, the guys in Camp 4 were making bets about you know when we would bail off the route. And it took us six days. We, we just you know were slow, but we did it. And we had faith in each other. And I think that the quality of experience with your all-women team is definitely different than being a mixed team or a male team, I would say. Um, but we didn't make a big deal about it. We were both like confident enough in each other and trusted each other that we would figure it out. And, and that's just kind of how it is. And you just got to jump in and swim. And, and so I think that we had that attitude and we knew that we weren't going to, you know, break any speed records or anything, but, um, we did make it. So, um, that was empowering to us and, and helped us keep going on that trajectory. And so I think that, you know, the work that you're doing with AAJ is really important because it is out there now. People can read about it and be inspired by it and, and have more confidence in their own abilities to just be able to figure it out. I just want to echo that, that I think it is so important, the stories of the women that went before and, and pushing the level. And it is kind of complicated because you don't necessarily want to be all the, to emphasize the women, but if you don't mention it, if it's at the end, because now that I think of it, a number of expeditions like the Brigopanth one, nobody's ever heard of. Um, and it, you know, it, it really was very, well, it was limiting, but I have to say, when everyone said, like, women can't climb Denali, it felt like such an adventure, like we were there without the grown-ups just to do it ourselves. <laughs> so uh, it, it can go both ways, but I, I think what you're doing is awesome, so thank you. I mean, I think, like, w one cool thing about capturing the history is you do get to hear about the more, like, uh, feminine version of hard climbing, hard like technical climbing, hard alpine climbing, hard bouldering, whatever. But you get to hear the story with just that like slightly different voice of a woman's experience, which to me really means a lot. I know there's a bit of a narrative that like 
strong women are generally more masculine in their approach. Um, but that's never been true for me. I'm very womanly. <laughs> um, I'm super emotional, but I really like love alpine climbing and I love being in the mountains and I love the strategy and I love the fear. Um, but to hear stories from women who have done something that I find inspirational and also hear the nuance of like, yeah, we totally like had a cry at the third belay. And uh, then, you know, I gave my partner the rope and yeah, she climbed another 60 meters and it was great. Oh, or just the act of like how teams of women can decision make together. Cause it is in my personal experience different than how you make decisions in the mountains with men. Um, when I go out with my female climbing partners, we're so equal that the expectation is just like what Lynn said, well, the rope's gonna get up there and it's either gonna be me or it's gonna be you. And so both of us just like step up to the plate because it's the only option. Um, and yet also embracing the fact that we're gonna have to have a longer discussion about it because we need to check in with each other and make sure each person's feeling okay. And like, you know, are you pretty stressed out? Yeah, I'm pretty stressed out too, but we're, we can go further, right? Yeah, we can go further. Um, so that's another reason for me why the stories and the history is so important because it get, lets me look back and say, oh, okay. So like when Lynn was climbing with Mary, they were, it was a bit maybe more like emotional and touchy feely. Okay, cool. So when I go out, I can be that way too. And it doesn't mean I'm not a climber. That's awesome. So. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just, I'm thinking about how, I mean, like when you were climbing the shield, Lynn, I, I think about that time as a time in which gender was really not being talked about really much. And so um, in a way your history is erased a bit. And I remember like, you know, that first female team free ascent I did, one of the criticisms I received was, well, Lynn already freed the nose, so this isn't significant. And um, it's as though, you know, all of women's history is like absorbed into what was the standard of men. And, and I think that's great that we're excavating this now differently. For some reason, I often think about this ascent that um, Kate Rutherford and I did of the North Pillar of Fitzroy, and you were climbing right near us with Colin Haley. And um, Kate and I's mantra the whole time was just like, we're doing it. <laughs> you know? and it was sort of this flat, like, okay, we're kind of scared out here, and, uh, but we're determined. And, like, and there was actually a lot of support in that. Um, and, even, and at the end of those, like on the fourth day as we were walking back across the glacier, and I kept post-holing in past my thigh because the, the field was, of snow was warm. Um, at one point, I was joking, but I was really over the situation. I was like, just effing leave me, Kate. I'm good here. You can leave me in the field. <laughs> And she's just like, I'll never leave you. And in a way that, you know, I never would have really received that in the same way from a male. And and for me, it was actually a really, like I'd had this like abandonment story actually that I worked through with you, Allison, in Kyrgyzstan with a partner where he left me. And it was soon after that. And it was this really healing, beautiful moment for me that uh, really only a woman could have provided to me in that moment. So I have last question. If you could give any advice to the next generation of female climbers, what would it be? Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Believe in yourself and, and don't listen to what other people say. Find your own, you know, 
routes to do that you want to do for the you know the reason that you love climbing. Um, I do want to make one little uh, call out to the Valley of Giants book that just came out. It's stories by women about their climbs in Yosemite, and and it's really interesting to read the different women, especially you know Marjorie Farker, you know just the the voice and Jan Sacker. Um, just the way they spoke about climbing, and, and you can tell just by the way, you know, some comments that they would make that were similar to what Arlene said, like, oh, the women can't climb, they're too emotional, or we, we won't let you belay because, you know, you can't catch a fall and stuff like that, you know, it's just, but it's really interesting just the way that they spoke and the style, and, um, you know, Julie Brueger, um, she's, she has an amazing, story there of all of her adventures. Well, not all, but she, she just mentions it like it's so casual, like, you know, but she was one of the few women that was really going for it on the big walls and, and she went to Saratori and, and other places, you know, Alpine. Um, but she, she did say, sadly, that she would never go back to Yosemite again because it's too crowded. She, she likes climbing where you don't see anybody else around. So it's like, oh. <laughs> I'm a big believer in vision, you know, just having a picture in your mind of, of what you want to do. And uh, whether that's a mountain summit or a rock climb, I always think first you get the picture, then you find your partners, your team, and you share that vision. And, um, I, and I, I too also appreciate with, with women, there's a lot more opportunity to just take your time, talk it through, um, have more emotion, but I think it's the same if it's mixed or it's all women's, you know, it's having the vision, having the team, and then for me, plodding upward, <laughs> you know, I've never felt like a good athlete like all of you. I'm just kind of a person who does get transfixed by that vision and keeps putting one foot in front of the other, and uh, you know, I don't know if that's helpful, but I'm really not a great athlete, but it, I was able to do all these things because I really wanted to and I cared. And uh, so I think women hearing these stories, you know, what you're doing can, can really provide inspiration. Yeah, I'll add, I mean, yeah, in terms of vision, I think that is really powerful. And I slept with a picture of Half Dome from Ansel Adams over my bed before I started climbing and that helped, I'm sure. Uh, I think the the mentorship piece is a really big one that I'm glad we're talking about more and really seeking out those mentors and making that more accessible and glad companies are doing that more. Um, but I, I think some of those questions are so unknown or answers to those questions are so unknown because the question is really like, where do you want to take your talent and what's the unique way that you're going to do that? And um, that's the future. And, we're not the future, hopefully going to be part of it, but <laughs> we're right now. <laughs> I would encourage young women to remember that the, the bar is really high for women and that they don't need to settle for um, an average accomplishment that women do climb in many areas of climbing just as hard as men. And, and I believe in the Alpine arena, it's getting closer and closer all the time. And so I just want to like encourage women to um, like strive for not perfection, but strive for elite level reaching like 
the most challenging, difficult heights and really just don't get caught up in, in maybe a, a dissipating narrative, but the narrative of like, yes, a woman can do these things, she will do them averagely. I think that women are extremely talented and what happened yesterday is proof of that. So I just wanna see women really like pushing the limit and continue to push the limit. Thank you guys so much. Clearly we could keep talking about this forever, but we're way over time. Thank you, Lynn. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Mad. And thank you, Arlene, for being here today and offering all of your awesome opinions. Uh, hope you guys have a great rest of your day. Today's show was hosted by me, Hannah Provo, and produced by Sierra McGivney with help from Shane Johnson. To learn more about the American Alpine Club, visit AmericanAlpineClub.org. Discover our legacy series, which shares the first-person stories of climbing legends like Irene Beardsley, Yvonne Chouinard, and even Arlene Bloom from this episode in video and podcast form. Find it on our website, YouTube, or any of our social channels.